0: I would say, you know, for parents,
1: oh my gosh,
0: be open-minded, be loving, be accepting, because your kid may die over it. You know, a lot of a lot of us struggled with, you know, depression, and there's just been just a lot of heartache. Um, And I think that if it's big enough to bring up. It's probably something they thought about a long time, you right.
2: know? Welcome to Knowing and Believing. Today we are talking to Kristen J. Davis. Um, I'm not sure if the J is important, but uh, it's in your Facebook profile, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh popular name <laughs> Yes, I thought it'd be interesting if if we could talk and I could just hear your story and where you've come in your journey of belief and worldview and how your cultural upbringing and everything else has affected you because I grew up in the same uh, denomination of belief and have had to work through where I've come from that. And just from a brief interaction on Facebook, uh, it sounded like you've put a lot of thought into it, and it sounds like you have a lot of educational background with issues that are are peripheral issues to theology as far as psychology, English, and, and, uh, and then I'd imagine you have a fair amount of philosophy and everything else in there uh, to a degree as well. So, I'd love to hear your story, uh, everything that you would like to share, so... <laughs>
0: well that's uh broad um broad. but yeah i guess i can just kind of start with the basic stuff so i grew up a seventh generation seventh day adventist
2: oh oh gee
0: um, yeah yeah so you know who can live up to the expectations but um right no it was uh it was really great maine was awesome i've one older brother, Jeff, he's three years older than me. And, um, yes, yeah, so we, we grew up in Yarmouth. Uh, and it, and it was really awesome overall. I think, you know, part of it was a little bit different, maybe from some other, uh, kids that I knew, we started off in the public school system.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: a lot of other Adventist kids, you know, didn't, they were either, uh, you know, homeschooling maybe in early years or, you know, went to Pine Tree Academy or, or, you know, another Adventist school. So, so really from the get go, we had a little bit of a different outlook maybe than, you know, some of my friends who they they really kind of only knew Adventist people. It it really is sort of a potentially a a kind of bubble.
2: Yes. Um, Yeah.
0: And, you know, I think part of it too is like my My mother's parents uh, were not, like, born Adventists. They were converted to Adventism uh, when my mother was probably eight years old.
1: Mm, So they were
0: already sort of familiar with the, quote-unquote, maybe secular, non-Adventist world. Uh, My father's father was sort of loosely Catholic, you know, was sort of loosely Adventist when he married my grandmother, who comes from the long line, you know.
2: Straight out of the... uh... out of the whites, if you will.
0: (laughs) Right, right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think they were probably less maybe anxious about it than maybe some people that felt like you sort of have to protect yourself from these maybe, not bad influences, but just sort of, I don't know, I don't know. A lot of people just felt more comfortable in that particular cultural bubble, but I think what the quote unquote, a little bit of diversity in my family, that wasn't as big of a deal. You know, they have a lot of friends that are avid, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, but by the time we were around, let's see, for Jeff, it must have been sixth grade, I was in fourth grade, I think we we started going to Pine Tree, of course, we did all the Pathfinder stuff, you know, very involved in the church, Uh, my mom did all the the supplemental, you know, religious studies at home that we maybe weren't getting, you know, right. at the public school. It was all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, they had a lot of good friends. They had known, you know, all these couples that before they had kids and then when they had kids and, you know, so very involved in the church and the school and the whole thing.
1: And, was um,
2: it a conscious choice by your parents to put you in public school rather than uh, the Adventist system of education or did it,
0: Yes. And, you know, I I couldn't really speak to their exact uh, motivations. I think they just felt like, you know, honestly, in Yarmouth, like the schools were really good. You know, it wasn't like they felt like we were going to really miss out, certainly on anything educational in in the traditional sense. Right. And I think that, you know, between, like I said, sort of the home Bible studies, you know, that – that we did during the week. And then, you know, regular church affiliation and all that kind of stuff, uh, Pathfinders, whatever it might be like, you know, they, they just, I think they just, I don't know. They, they, for whatever reason, thought we're going to be okay, you know, sending the kids here. And then when they, I think they felt ever that the school was ready or something like that, you know, the local Adventist Academy, uh, we, you know, which of course is like a, one to 12, I think, at that point, yeah. um, we started going over there. So that's sort of what I can gather from what happened. But honestly, you know, where we live, like, we, it was this sort of ideal, you know, growing up that, that we would just, you know, disappear on our bikes, we'd play with our friends, like, you know, it was that sure. kind of thing. You feel very safe. Um, and all the people that we lived around went to the public schools, you know, so like these were already our friends almost by just proximity and stuff like that. Um, but I remember as a kid, you know, like, because you don't quite understand, you know, because they're like, well, wait a minute, you're going to church on Saturday. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to church on Sunday. Like, you know, you, you just have these sort of, right. no one really quite quite is sure why, <laughs> you know, when sure. you're a little kid, but
2: You know, you've been told and you can regurgitate it, but if anyone really wants to do an exegesis or whatever study of it, you're like, "Ah, I'd rather ride my bike, please.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I remember being like, well, I mean, well, here it is, you know, and like Exodus and my friends are like, I don't know, you know, (laughs) we're like seven, like, you know, we have no idea (laughs) what, what all of that really means. Um, but it's just cool. It's like, that wasn't a big deal. Like nobody cares, you know, right. they, they're, they're good people. Like, yeah. so, um, and, and we also, my dad did a lot of, uh, like Maranosh, Maranatha mission trips, that kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, very frequently with non avenous you know, people and avenous people. So it was, a, you know, there was always that kind of surrounding, for me and my family right. and as I, and I just kind of thought that was normal as I get older, I realize that, I mean, I, I, people are like, I, I really didn't have any friends that were at right. They just had never really quite gotten out there until maybe college or work or something
1: like that as adults. So. yeah, I mean, for me, it, it wasn't didn't.
2: until really until after uh, college even so.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we, we lived in, you know, Maine for a long time until I was about 14. And then, oh, there was sort of some drama at the school and the church. And I think, you know, there was just um, just some ideological rifts. Some people were very conservative. I mean, like for my parents coming up to Maine, it was much more conservative for Adventists here at that time and probably even still, uh, though yes. it's a little different now. But you know, than it was like in D.C. where they were, you know, kind of sure. come of age and, and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, there's a large group of homeschool kids. It was you know that sometimes it would almost lead to like a kind of a division or hierarchy, depending, you know, and Sabbath schools and stuff. Um, I don't know anyway. So, so there was some drama and they just were kind of like, you know what? I think it's time we, (laughs) we look at maybe another option. We'd had some, uh, friends of course that, uh, had gone down to Shenandoah Valley Academy, you know, Virginia, uh, or were going there at the same time. There was a sort of a small exodus, I would say, (laughs) among some of our friends. Um, and went down there at the same time. So we moved to Virginia in ninety-six. Oh. And and that was really big. That was different. I'd always lived in Yarmouth, you know. And this was the, this this the South. Yeah. Right. So like there was sort of a a a I don't know if it was a culture shock, but like a little bit, you know, a little bit of a culture oh, yeah. shock. For sure. You know? Um I'm like, wow, there's like Confederate flags everywhere. What's going on? You
1: know.
0: Um and and even Shenandoah Valley itself was quite diverse. You know, I, I the, it, we didn't have that kind of uh, racial or um, you know sort of national like people from different countries, all that kind of stuff. That kind of diversity at the smaller schools uh, up in Maine. So so it it was great though. I loved SVA. Of course, that was when I got to. Uh, I think Amber was a senior when I was a freshman. So. Yeah you know, we got to play basketball together and, oh, cool. you know, cause I hadn't really seen her in a long time. So, so that was fun and, um, really very positive experience. I think, you know, leaving Maine was hard, but like it, it just, you know, I don't know. It was, it was good. I would say for both my brother and I, hmm. um, and then let's see. So my, f- freshman year of college, my parents still really insisted that my brother and I try one year um, of an Adventist college. I I was kind of wanting to do something different, but you know, it is what it is. It was okay. So I went to CUC.
2: At that point, had, had you felt like I've done this Adventist schooling for a while and I I have a conscious thought process that's telling me I'd rather not continue in an Adventist educational system? Or was it just kind of like, hey, this other school, because of the location or the the studies or whatever, might be interesting?
0: Right. Yeah. No, it was not. um, it, It wasn't a thing where I was sort of. Actively not really wanting to do the Adventist thing anymore, although that was definitely starting to not be as critical in my life at that Mm -hmm. time. You know, a lot of high school it was the prayer conferences and the Bible conferences and the prayer meetings and the you know performing for Sabbath School and you know just the mission trips and like very very dedicated Um, and I like it it i it was helpful but you know i'd look around and some people are just like i I was like wow they're like really moved by all this they really like feel or like hear god you know directing their lives this kind of stuff i did never really quite get that like Mm -hmm. i maybe i expected something more literal or something i don't know you know sure so just, it it's, it fizzled a little bit that, you know, and there were just some frustrations, you know, just I think regular teenagers have, um, you know, and you're forced, of course, to do all the things, you're the best person does at the school, the you know, like you sort of are like, but honestly, the, I think the major thing for me is I, I realized I, I you know, sexually good grades really basically always after school and, and I wanted to kind of try to get into somewhere relatively elite, I guess, if you will, sure. like, maybe not like Ivy League. I don't know if I'm that smart, you know, but like just something where they've got all these different kinds of programs, all, you know, hundreds of different courses within, you know, I mean, it's like,
1: right.
0: I, I remember going in and visiting some, you know, public universities and it was like, wow, there was like, a short story Gothic class in American literature. Yeah. It'd be like this, you know, just things that were like, you know, you can't expect that at a tiny little college. Right. right? So I, you know, it was, so that was kind of part of it for me. I, I really just wanted something where I had a wider range of horses, um, fields, you know, professors, like all, all that kind of, you know, the fancy libraries, all the things that you can get when it's a, a, a bigger college or something like that. Right. Um, so I mean, the, you know, the, the, the you know, uh,
2: it, like it, it's interesting for me. I, I remember, um, late in high school, you know, like, well, you got to do the SATs and everything. And I was like, are you kidding right. me? I'm going to an Adventist college. As long as you have money, they're going to let you in. Why on earth would I study or even try on this? I know my future is before me in Adventist education. The best thing that's going to happen for me is if I know someone in the, you know, academic department that gives out scholarships, that's going to be my best bet. Like, they don't care anything. Like, they will take my money, you know? And But I I also knew at the same time for me that if I did not go to an Adventist school, I would not meet an Adventist wife. And that would be a huge, huge disappointment to the expectations of my community. And so for me, I had that like just pressure for that. And it it sounds like for you, it was like Adventism did not culturally have an oppressive effect on your life as much as here's a theological tool that is useful in my life in guiding the complete thought process that moves me forward rather than yeah. the all-encompassing thing that you, you go outside of these lines, you're in big trouble. It didn't seem like, from what you're saying, it doesn't seem like it was as much of that kind of an experience for you.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, and this is why, of course, why do most Adventist parents want their kids to go to an Adventist college? Well, they want them to marry an Adventist, of course, right? But for me, I, and even now I have no interest in, in, that didn't even, I was about, you know, education, career, like doing something to, you know, help the world. Like that's what I was interested in. I had no interest in having a family and all that kind of stuff. Now I thought you know maybe one day it'll it'll happen I'll I'll be like oh you know I really like to have kids you know honestly it hasn't happened so I think you know we're 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 given that uh, growing up that this is the norm this is the best thing in everyone's lives you're gonna want it sooner or later and I don't know it hasn't happened to me yet 38 we'll see but um, so for me def- I had no interest in going to a school just because I was trying to find some guy who's avenous like that was not I was at the bottom of the list, sure. whereas probably for my parents, it was closer to the top of the list, right?
1: Right, right.
0: <laughs> I, think, I think you're right there. Um, but they had such a great experience, too, you know, and they really enjoyed it. And they had wonderful mentors and professors and coaches and the whole thing. And they sort of wanted to keep that going, you know, because it had been good in our lives up to that point. But I was I was interested in academics, first and foremost. for
2: Right, college. right. So, uh, I mean, yeah. go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, um, the, the thing that was kind of fun is that my brother and I both got to do some some D2 sports at CUC. Oh, so, cool. that was, yeah. So, I played soccer. Uh, he actually played soccer and basketball. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that was a little bit of a draw, but I didn't like living in the city. I went home, like, all the time. Yeah. You know, I don't know.
2: Now, in defense of like, I don't want to call Adventist education just a, you know, an expensive dating service. I mean, the architecture school I went to, I think I got a very quality education there, mostly due to the people that were there were very mission oriented and took their jobs very seriously, as I would assume most schools in academia and higher education would anyways. Uh, right. but there is a much smaller uh student to professor ratio. And, you know, it yep. I have to say I, I do think it was a good education, but there's, you know, as I said before, absolutely no worry about, you know, getting in. If you have the money, you get in. They want you there so you can potentially become an Adventist if you're not already, so on and so forth, and keep you in the fold. Great. Um, for for you it it would you still consider yourself Adventist to this day and practicing and uh, like a valuable part of your life? Has that stayed with you? Have you transitioned out of that? Have you worked through it at all? where Where do you find yourself these days?
0: <laughs> well, okay, so this would be the longer a longer answer, I suppose, right. Okay. So what happened was, so i I did my first year at CCC. It was okay, like I said, I I didn't like the city. I want, I definitely want to do something else. Uh, my brother had done a lot of living abroad and stuff like that, so he uh, was like, hey, you should come to Cologne, you know? So I went to Cologne for basically a semester, and it was okay, but I, I was kind of homesick. Now, in the meantime, I it was the summer after my freshman year of college, so I was 19, and I met this girl she's just a friend of a friend and my friend was like oh this girl reminds me so much like you guys may have so much fun and we became like really close like and I was just like I felt like I was kind of obsessed with her and I was like "Wow, oh, I just want to hang out with her all the time like that's so is that weird like that's a little weird right <laughs> well and this girl was not an Adventist right so eventually you know one thing kind of led to another and it was like neither of us had ever had a, a girlfriend or anything like that um but she was like well you know do you want to like try to have a relationship or something and i was like oh i i can't do that you know that's against my religion you know, so right. that was sort of the first and after a while it's like well okay like maybe like we'll try it and like you know but you don't talk about
2: it all <laughs> right no, so, no no not well not um, in Adventist venice circle anyway. all
0: <laughs> right yeah Yeah. Or like to anyone, I mean, even for her, you know, she's from rural Virginia. Like she, no one was going to be out or anything. And we didn't really know what it meant. Like, again, it was sort of a, wow, this is so weird. Like I, I, but I really was like, I'd never been in love before. It was amazing. Anyway. So after that I decided to go to the college where she was, which is Old Dominion University Mm -hmm. and which was, really an awesome experience i mean it's just wow i'm i'm still friends with a lot of professors there like it it was really great so um yeah so that was kind of that was a hard time though because once i sort of decided to do that and and realize how much it meant to me i was like this probably isn't going to go away you know um
2: the old dominion university or the dating another woman
0: oh the, the the dating, the dating, you know, that to date, you know, women, I, it's yeah. like, and, and, you know, at that time, I mean, you, I had never even, I mean, you couldn't be gay and Adventist. Like I didn't know anyone sure. who was gay and Adventist. It's like, that's not, you, you know, you can't be both. Um, And there was no one to talk to. Yeah. And I had no one to talk to at all about it. And it, it was really like I had to choose that over salvation. It was huge, huge. I was like 20 years old. Um, just really tough. But I think what sort of helped a little bit was the fact that I was on a secular campus, very you know, sort of the international campus uh, of Virginia, you know, big school, um, of course, a big military area around there, just a lot of different kinds of people. And you get a different outlook from your courses. It's not, you know, anyway. So, and then I did more grad school and you start to learn more about deconstruction and career theory and things like that. And that has sort of helped me maybe not feel quite as guilty about it, but at least it sort of uh, offers a different kind of way of viewing the world, you know, as sure. opposed to the... Um, Adam and Eve, there's a, an absolute sort of division here from the get-go with creation. Men and women are supposed to be a very specific thing. They have, di- you know, different roles, like all that. You sort of, if you didn't have that, if you kind of wipe that all away, like you've got all these different options to think about. Well, maybe our concepts of, you know, gender, sex, sexuality, these are sort of socially constructed. They change over time, you know, and the more mm-hmm. you get to study that, um, the more it kind of made sense to me. So I think, but for a long time, it was like, well, I, you know, I, I can't be at Venice anymore. You know, there is no place for me in, in Christian. I just kind of had to, I felt like I had to sort of throw that away a little bit, you know? Um, and I was so focused on the other things. It's like, you know, ah, I can't really deal with all this, um. Oh, just the, the difficult questions about spirituality that were so hard, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: And so um, so I think I, and I took world religions. I mean, you just, you're studying so much. It was just really amazing, incredible. So I think, you know, for probably then I would say since the time I was, you know, 20, um, I have been agnostic. Now, the interesting thing, though, after I, I, well, it's kind of during grad school, well, the second round. So after my master's, when I was doing my PhD, um, you get more social media. And there was more, I was like, wow, like, what is this kinship thing? You know, and like, you're starting to learn like, whoa, they're like gay evidence and stuff. I'm like, oh, well, maybe that's an option. Like you could be queer in a sense um, and, and, and still hold on to a lot of, you know, uh, I just had never even thought that was even really a thing before. Mm-hmm. So once I moved back to Maine, um, you know, after I'd finished school and I was teaching at the University of Maine, uh, near Bangor and I had some, you know, friends I'd grown up with there. And one of them had married the pastor of Bangor some damas Church, of course, you know, Sean Brace. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it was Ellie maybe that, that had, Ellie Fellows, uh, Truby, that had reached out. But, you know, they, was, they were kind of like, hey, you know, we we meet sometimes on Friday nights. And it's sort of a, it's not really like a Vespers. It's like more than that. It's like, there's also like kind of intellectual discussion. A lot of people aren't even Adventists. Like, you should come and everything. And so I started hanging out. And I'm like, wow, this is actually really neat. And they are just the coolest group, by the way. I mean, I can't hmm. say enough good things about um, you know, my friends are up, up at the Bangor of Heaven's church, but so, but that's it wasn't really like great, for, by the way, that's, church.
2: That's, that's yeah. really nice to, to have a community, a spiritual community where you feel you can fit in, share, and I'm assuming not be judged too much yeah. one way or the other, but it's just a collaborative discussion towards meaning and truth. Oh, totally.
0: Totally. Yeah. You know, because it's not... The things you're talking about in those small groups like that. I mean, these are, the, first of all, the, the trust is, is built because they're listening. They let you talk. They, they do affirm you. They do love you. They keep inviting you back. I mean, you know, it, it's you can ask the hard questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Questions, that you know, you don't necessarily ask, even in a small group of Sabbath school or something, right? Like, yeah. it was it was really cool, and it's so much more meaningful because you do care about each other now um so so i i did that you know i was was pretty busy exhausted but i tried to do that really most friday nights um and then i even started going to their church service on on sabbath which is kind of a different type of uh different than what we grew up with of course um and there was a lot of like, like you'd sort of sit if you wanted to at tables kind of small groups and it was really cool um so that kind of got me more interested in thinking about now, am I ever going to be a a diehard Adventist again? No, I don't think so. Right. Um, There's too much about um, just about some of the quote unquote fundamental beliefs and stuff that I don't know, that just don't make that much sense to me. And I also feel like that's a certain limitation. Um, You know, not that that's, it's great for a lot of people, like the people I love most of my life. Like it has just made them the best kind of people. They it, it's, it's guided them. It's just, it's been like literally their salvation, all that kind of stuff. But for me, I, I don't know if I would ever find quote unquote any particular path. That's like the right one. You know, it's, it's sort of like whatever's going to kind of work for you. But I think because because of my academic background, um, which is sort of, you know, like I said, from 20 to, you know, 30 or more, whatever it was, um, like, that was sort of what guided me during these transformative years. Hmm. And it's like, you you never have the right answer. There is no, like, universal truth that you've now found and you can sort of pass on to other people, right? Right. It's about always questioning, always a critical thinking. Anything that you have, it's 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 tentative for a while, you know. Um, but if you get too set in something, like that can be a problem. And so I think that's kind of carried over for me, whether it's a uh, political ideology or religious or anything else. I think if you're not really actively questioning your stances your beliefs whatever all the time that can be a dangerous thing a lot of people are like oh that means you know you're never gonna what's it mean to not believe in anything or what's it mean to not stand for anything and i don't think it has to be that right yeah um but i i just i've seen where assuredness and certainty of course that's going to lead to judgment of course that's going to lead to exclusion you know um bias and prejudice and closed-mindedness and so on so you know whether you're holding particular belief or not you know you've got to at least be aware of it and so for me it's i think it's just so ingrained that i i i wouldn't want to just swear on one thing and i've like kind of got it figured out and you know
2: now do you that. Do you think that you had the foundation of this position before you were involved in academia? Or do you think it's the process of getting to know yourself and understanding that in, in such a transitional time and, and realizing something about yourself that your previous, lo- previous worldview kind of excluded? that transformed you into that person because it it seems like there's some thought process commonalities that I might share with you that would would make you to continually be a fence rider and I mean that to me it feels like a positive way (laughs) I've never been someone who uh, played team sports like I'm I'm that far gone that (laughs) <laughs> to, to be in the band, to be in, you know, a singing group like the Shannon Doans, to be on a basketball team, any of that was so uh, constricting as far as time and just someone else's control, someone else's thought process about how I should do things. It felt so imposing on me that I didn't have the freedom to actually explore meaning and truth like i say that now i could not have come anywhere close to articulating that before but as you're saying to be part of a a a religion like adventism to me in my experience now if both of us were on the west coast we might not be having anywhere close to this kind of conversation because the culture is so vastly (laughs) different you've probably been told that a bunch but Right. It, it requires, it seems, so much of a sign-on. Like you have to really sign off a lot of your previous um, desires and abilities to critically think about some things and to place those outside of surety or certainty, which within the culture sometimes can, with some subjects, can uh, can be perceived as kind of a a uh, a. Uh, contentious, self-righteous, not self-righteous, but like that's improper to question to this degree. And you're outside of the culture at that point. And that doesn't seem healthy to me. And it it seems like uh, I recently listened to something where, uh, you know, we crave salt, fat, and sugar. And salt, fat, and sugar are valuable things. They need to be within the parameters of moderation. And we also crave... Uh, meaning, belonging, acceptance, and certainty, but an overabundance of those things creates an insular environment, uh, creates an outgroup, creates tribalism if they're embraced too far, and this is, I I have an analogy that uh, fast food, certainty-based religions, and pornography all have the same problems in that they go right to the core of the kind of dessert at the end of the thing to get you the immediate gratification the immediate surety the immediate belonging and the immediate certainty with religion Mm -hmm. the immediate thing of great taste calories with uh with fast food and then pornography the immediate thing of just sexual gratification which should come you know it seems to me more so should come at uh, as the you know uh personal uh, kind of coming together of a developed relationship, you know. And, and it, it seems like these religions like Adventism are dangerous in that in that enclaves like Northern New England, it seems like they're typically uh, far, far more leaning towards fundamentalist conservative. You haven't found that to be true with the group that you're meeting with at Bangor. It doesn't seem like at all. They seem like a really really great group accepting open encouraging uh and and not uh exclusionary and and narrow-minded um but i i also wonder uh my experience with adventism uh you know i had that different feeling on me as a kid of this expectation and where i would go uh and how it would be done and what lines i should stay inside of and there's a really heavy weight that came with it um and also, and a thing you had said earlier that was interesting—that uh, someone you had named had come to Adventism uh, in, as as adults—and I mm-hmm. think there's a difference between people that come to a religion like Adventism at a uh, age of accountability, right, as an adult, rather than being raised in it from uh, imprinting to adulthood, right that right. someone who comes to it as a, an accountable adult can kind of keep certain things at arm's length and say, well, that's your cultural take on that. And you know, I'm happy that that works for you, but I don't feel the emotional connection to having to have that same position and it's not going to affect me in the same way. And I wonder for my own, like I'm hearing your story and trying to under my own, understand my own story more and see where I might be going wrong or too far, or not enough, whatever. By trying to understand your story, you know. Yeah. Um, cool. But yeah, I I don't know. That that's kind of my weird weird take on it at this point. But I don't know if that creates any thoughts.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. I
0: I think it does make sense. Um, I <laughs> I think this was. You know, I was on all the team sports. I was in the band, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I was very much that kind of thing. Now I got, you know, I got to be sort of a leader in a lot of those groups too, but um, no, like for me, it was pretty, you know, there's a pretty hardcore certainty amongst Adventism.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: And, um, you know, and <laughs> being gay meant you couldn't be Adventist, you know, yeah. that was just one of many things. But it, it, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't think, you know, now my parents are not, you know, they're not as, uh, they're, they're more progressive, like I said, but Mm -hmm. well, my father probably even more so than my mother, but you know, you weren't asking like hard questions or anything, uh, you know, at that age. I mean, even in college, it was sort of, it's kind of like, well, we've all sort of agreed upon this path, and we might debate a little bit about what this term means, or how does this parable apply to our lives, or something. But people were, were reluctant to really, I think, ask some of the harder questions, because it, it just, you know, or something like being, it was, it was unspeakable, it was the unspeakable oh, yeah. to even think about or talk about um, something like homosexuality, you know, uh, so that I think is why it was so hard. So for me, it was definitely like getting in the college atmosphere and in a secular college atmosphere that was really quite diverse. And of course, grad school and studying humanities, all that kind of stuff. Um, That I think is where, you know, I started to see that, like, it's OK to not know all the answers, you know, like right. the, the the striving is cool, you know, the, the little insights that you get sharing and sharing, collaborating and, you know, radical new ideas, like whatever, like it's OK, like anything could be talked about, you know, essentially mm-hmm. um, just that kind of freedom. I do think that the what really pushed me into that and maybe even what pushed pushed me into going into because all through college really I was I was gonna do dentistry, right? Mm-hmm. I was gonna you know be a dentist with my dad.
2: I did a year and uh, a half of that and quickly realized I didn't have the brain <laughs> for the memorization that <laughs> would be required.
0: God, I was I was a superstar and all the you know the prereqs and everything. And then but I just thought this is so boring. I finished my minor in English. I'm like there's no more English classes. Like college sucks, you know? And I and I after some interviews with various you know people that kind of guide like pre-dental students things like they're like I don't know like you may want to kind of think about like this interesting so so and I and so I really and I thought you know what I do want to do teaching I want to do academia I want to do that kind of stuff um but I think part of that was I was like this outcast I had that constant cognitive dissonance all the time you know you sort of want to be Part of the culture that you've always been a part of, but at the same time, you, you despise certain certain things that they stand for, and and a certain sometimes sort of hateful behavior, frankly, yeah, um, exhibited towards certain people, and the you know sometimes even intolerance, um, you know, just and it was like and I think like I mentioned maybe something on that post where what happens when You have to come up with a system of uh, a worldview, a belief system, a morality an ethics, whatever that isn't based on some idea of, you know, for me, of course, growing up Christian, potentially heaven and this great relationship with Jesus or whatever. Like, you know, what then, how do you construct that? You know, and so in a way, it was actually kind of maybe it wasn't it wasn't positive at the time but it's almost kind of positive. Looking back on it now, it was like this blank slate. Like I was just like, well, <laughs> Evan ain't going to have me. So, all right, what's next? You know, like right. what, what is my life going to be about? Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to stand for? Uh, what is the, you know, those existential questions, like what's the point of living, like what all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I, that again, I think was sort of like, well, if it's just kind of the here and now, you know, I got more interested in social justice. My first uh, college teaching gig, I was, gosh, 22 years old. It was a, uh, an interdisciplinary course on appreciating the global environment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all these major sort of global inequalities and climate change and, you know, population. And, you know, it was just, quarter. It, it was a lot at once because you, then you feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders is how are we ever going <laughs> to address all these problems, right? Um, but I don't know. I think it was kind of neat to just have this total other way of trying to construct what you want to do with your life when you're not, I don't know, feeling like it just, it had, for me, it had just previously been so tied to like the Adventist life and like, you know, winning souls for Jesus and, you know, like heaven and all that kind of thing. And even though this was sort of, anxiety inducing because you don't have that assuredness you know right i mean go go to to the funeral of a loved one when you're not a christian Hmm. or 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 someone that believes in an afterlife right that's tough there is no oh there's going to be a happy ever after one day (laughs) you're just saying goodbye forever yeah like it's not easy um but i i do think it it's what really helped me personally kind of Be able to really think widely outside of the box and kind of use parts of, you know, my upbringing, my academic, like all those different things, just to try to be a good person, try to try to make the world a little, little better. You know, that's sort of the the small, you know, life goal that I have, you know, what can you do to to help people basically here and now? Because that's all that I have that's sort of assured for me.
2: Yeah, the certain thing is that you're, you know, I think therefore I am. I never understood that until I went through really uh, deconstructing that. And I was like, oh, that's what that means, you know? Yeah, um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a difficult uh, rock bottom to hit, but um, it gives you a point of like, all right, we cleaned this site down to bedrock now we can start building, you know. Right. So, yeah. uh, um, for for the mindset within a more fundamentalist community, as far as I mean, Baptists have it, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Adventists—they all have it. Um, do, to how comfortable are you speaking on on the LGBTQ plus issues of people growing up in those kind of of communities and, and advice and and that you'd have for people on both sides of the equation as far as parents uh, with children that that might be and also also children that are still under that uh, community.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I I of course I only really have my own experience to draw sure. from, but I will say that we certainly. Across, like you said, many, uh, especially religious communities, but sometimes just other um, traditionalist type of communities, we see that there is very high rate of suicide, high rate of you know substance abuse, you know, um, and so if you have got. Gosh, because I have some, oh gosh, I have some friends that, like, they came out and their parents, like, basically disowned them. Hmm. You know, like, I honestly thought, I waited until I had, just in case, I had funding for grad school, like, I was, like, ready to go Hmm.
1: before
0: I told my parents. You know, now, you know, they didn't, like, cut me off, but I thought, I thought they'd kind of, well, we'd love you, but, you know, we can't support this lifestyle kind of thing um they end up you know it's it's been a journey but they've been really quite supportive i would say you know for parents oh my gosh um be open-minded be loving be accepting because your kid may die over it you know, a lot of, a lot of us struggled with, you know, depression and there's just been, just a lot of heartache. Um, and I think that honestly, like people, (laughs) this is not some passing fad. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, I don't like, you know, the Patriots anymore, like the Cowboys, you know, or (laughs) or even, or even like, oh, I don't want to be a dentist, I want to be an English teacher or something. Yeah. Like, this is like, if it's big enough to bring up, it's probably something they thought about a long time,
1: you right. know?
0: So I, I, I'm I concerned because I know that there are also some, um, you know, queer people. I think that's sort of the term that I use probably from so much queer theory courses that I've taken and such, but so the LGBTQ plus whatever community, um, I don't know. I just, I think that they, they need patience, they need acceptance, you know, um, it's, I, I'm not sure, because here's the thing about, for those that, you know, want to try to stay in the religion and be queer. Now, I think depending on where you are, you know, you could be fine. You could you could find a church like, you know, even like at Bangor is very open. Um, But I think a lot of people are not necessarily going to find that. And they're also going to be continually frustrated by what's going on with the general conference or, you know, other places sure. around sort of you know, uh, the system itself. So I think, you know, obviously if you are sort of someone, um, in that kind of a stance, like you know, being queer, being wanting to sort of stay in the culture or keep a lot of the belief systems or whatever, whether it's Adventism or, or something else, um, you know, you're going to have to find a community that, that, that affirms you. Otherwise, you, it's not probably not going to last very long. The other thing is you got to be able to accept that, like, it's probably going to be very frustrating. Like for me, it would be like, like I, I tell my parents, I, it's like there's so much going on. There's so much politics and everything else going on in my life. It's like I don't even have it in me to try to fight battles within the Adventist church on LGBT type of stuff when their biggest debate is whether women are really qualified to be leaders of the church. You know, yeah. I mean, it's outrageous. Like I can't even imagine having to put my time and energy into that because I, and I feel like I'm so kind of, uh, I've just been out of it too long. Like I've been out of that system for too long. It's just to me, I'm like, really? Like that's the, that's a big issue right now, whether we, we should ordain women really. Um, so there's going to be a lot of sort of frustrations I think there, but for a lot of people, you know, it's, it's worth it. You do get to maintain your culture. If you've got an affirming community or whatever, it can still be really valuable, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I think for a lot of people like me, like I just, I'm just not going to be that dogmatic about it to, to really be a diehard, and to fight those kind of battles that who knows, who knows how long it would take to change. My goodness, the started by a woman. We're still debating about legitimacy of women's leaders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So that's, I think, kind of what I would say as far as people inside, outside, parents, you know, whatever. Um,
2: um, I really appreciate you uh sharing that. It's obviously been something that's been obviously very personal to you uh there's a lot yeah. of emotions <laughs> attached to it um my my own major issue was struggling with f- faith was uh being more part of the real world and forming friendships. And, and, you know, which I would call at the beginning, more so even just acquaintances with people who were LGBTQ plus, you know, somewhere on that spectrum that did not fit in the straight category, right? And looking at them and first thinking like, it's very odd that they've chosen this lifestyle, you know? (laughs) And and then like, (laughs) wait a minute, these comments that they make, like, You know, if I could have chosen something else and avoided all this pain that I experienced in this process, good Lord, don't you think I would have done that? You know, like these these not so often it seems like in the discussion people want to frame it of like, well, perversion and then, well, what are you going to like? Uh, you know what's next—marrying uh, their dog and bestiality—and and, and <laughs> right. you know they go just immediately out to these extremes without understanding the the condition of you know truly some people can be happy single and feel fulfilled. I know they're out there. I was never one of those. I always felt if I didn't have someone close to me, there was part of me that was dying. Right, and that's just my experience. Um, But in in processing, you know, how how do I hold my religion, and how my religion tells me to think of these people, what they're choosing, and what's going to happen to them? But then getting to know them and realizing that the story I had been given did not reflect their reality. Nor their motivations or their desires. Yet I was part of this religion and in this process of placing that on people. And then you you look at the effect of that, like the the, the desire or the comfort uh, associated with belonging to your group, be it Adventism, be it your your single, like just family unit mom dad you brother and sister kind of thing and to feel like if if i were honest about me they my closest people would disown me you know like that is some deep uh pain and 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 i didn't know how to look at that process that and be a good adventist at the same time and that cognitive dissonance, that realization just was the initial thing for me that was like, hmm, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. And then I think my, my own just nature of never being really a, a, a good team player, uh, it snowballs to everything from then. Like I've never felt comfortable in a group that all believe the same thing on anything. To me, that. To me, that reeks of dangerous situation. Being right. too far left, too far right, too far believing this, believing that. I don't care what it is. If it's an insular environment um, that all believe the same thing and they all want to wear the same armband. And, you know, that that's <laughs> extremely unhealthy, it seems, right? And so, the thing I, I so I've I basically lost all of that but at the same time like the rug's been pulled out from underneath me you know the uh the the limb that i sat on it was always easy for me to look at the limb that the mormons sat on and just be like ha ha gold tablets that's ridiculous there you go you're on the ground you know and then the jehovah's witness or the baptist you don't believe this because of the bible says this and you're wrong on these days and and it was always so easy to saw off the limbs that everyone else sat on. But then when you looked at your own limb and realized that you, you did not agree with the structure of that limb that you sat on and you actually sawed it off yourself, then the, the mm-hmm. thing there you then realize is no limb is safe. You've lost your community uh, at large and it, it's, it's, it's so extremely disorienting. And, and I'm, I'm doing that through my own control, which is, which is an advantage for me that I can, I don't have the, uh, the, it's my choice to be distance. It wasn't like I was gay and I was worried that someone would disown me for something that was not even within my own control. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and so I, I, The empathy in me, what little empathy I have, I'm not an overly empathetic person, told me that it's not fair for me to stay in this community, enjoy the benefits, get in line, and be silent about the minority of people, of of kids that would be born into that system that would be experiencing that. And I I just don't think it's fair or, or right. I don't think, honestly... I don't think it's the message of Christ to put culture over human suffering. So like you were saying earlier, the statistics of uh, children in these types of communities that are rejected because of their sexuality, the, the, the overwhelming data from what I'm told is, you know, drug addiction, suicide, homelessness, all of these things. Do you think Christ would say, yeah reject them for that and put them at risk or would christ say love and accept these people for who they are as, as i do they're one of my children too <sighs> And yeah. it's just i don't understand it and I, I don't understand why so many people are silent on it uh, but i think um seeing how people gain safety security meaning belonging they're reinforcing systems that uh create the walls that do protect us uh to some degree and if you mess with those walls people people get scared and you know consistency everyone looking the same everyone behaving the same gives you a process to put a foundation on to survive and when you mess with that in any way shape or form uh people get weird and, and religion is one of those things. Um, but I just think that conversations like this and, and, and being able to share that hopefully can get people to, um, hopefully within their own safety, listen to something like this and be able to empathize and think about it privately and then discuss it publicly, maybe with people who feel the same as they would on the surface, but they can process it underneath, maybe. Um in your own experience, um, it, and if you're comfortable talking about this, uh the, coming to coming to your own realization, it seems like from how you described it, like you you discovered that you were attracted to another woman rather than always knowing that. Uh right. it, is that is that uh from my experience, like I got to think like 7 or 8 I was like holy cow that's it and I'm like trying not to think about that so much because my religion tells me to think about all those things in that way is really bad <laughs> and that like it is just a fire hose of you know like and to to hear someone else describe their experience of like oh I just kind of like this is huh I didn't from what everything I've heard I didn't know it would be this way, but you discovered that. And so, are you comfortable talking about that and explaining that at all? Or? Yeah,
0: that's yeah, that's fine. Now, I and I think I I think it's going to be different for a lot of different people, right? Like I I had uh, I had a girlfriend. And from your
2: studies, what what is the s- the spectrum nature of that too? Right? That is that like most people think of it as a. Is is binary thing the right term there to use? Like most people think you're either this or you're Mm -hmm. that. And if you're not that, you've simply chosen to be that. You've chosen to be a pervert and over there. Sorry to, you know, say it that way. But a lot of people want to frame it that way.
0: No, I think some people, it's definitely a spectrum, right? I think people have understood that, I mean, and, and anyone who's done any kind of historical research knows that, there's all kinds of um, gender identities and sexual practices, and you don't even have this concept of a, 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 a pure, like sexual identity like that. Like you don't have like homosexuality as being defining sort of where the acts define the identity of the person until the late 19th century. Right. Mm-hmm. You didn't even think about it that way before. That's why, you know, and Greece or Rome or whatever, you could be a guy and sleep with other guys or what are boys usually, I guess if you were an adult male and, you know, it doesn't make you gay. Like it just, you know um, so, so there's a, a, a relatively new understanding of this, this sort of sexual identity. It's kind of all encompassing. But I think the idea of a spectrum is, is also been around for quite some time. Okay. Um, I you know, I, I don't know. I would say, you know, like for me, I always had, um, well, I always had little boyfriends and everything like that. And, but I wasn't like wanting to necessarily like sleep with them. You know what I mean? Um, it wasn't, the feeling wasn't that strong. Um, but I think with girls, I always had really intense, close friendships, you know, I had best friends, Mm -hmm. but they weren't sexual. Like it wasn't, uh, like that. And I think part of it was just that it was, it was so, it would have been so foreign, you know, and I just didn't have a a really strong desire like that. Uh, I, and I will say that's probably kind of just how I am anyway. Right. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm most attracted to someone when I really already love them. I'm in love with them. Right. You know, it, it's it's a it's a different kind of thing. Um, but I I would say it it's it's probably as diverse as the people in it. Right? right. You know, everyone has different kinds of types. Some people can have casual affairs. It's no big deal. You know, some people don't want that. They don't really want to sleep with someone unless they really kind of there's a certain connection or whatever, Um, you know, it's very complicated. And I think, you know, and goodness, in in really contemporary society in the last, you know, 10 years or so, probably a little bit more than that. um, People are really looking at specific kinds of identities and trying to kind of categorize those, I guess, um, which, which can be helpful. You know, um, but I, like, I identify myself as queer because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not really, I've never, I've always been a tomboy. I've never been, you know, sort of gender conforming. I've always been sort of gender nonconforming Um, I'm not straight. I'm not gay. I'm not quite even because I'm not it, it, like it, there is no real word for it. So it's just, you know, and then queer itself. Um, you know, from queer theory, they look at it as as a verb, like, you don't necessarily want to get settled into a category because the queer something is to deconstruct it. So they're mm-hmm. looking at queer as a verb. So it's sort of like you're um, because again, once you get too comfortable with binaries or categories or whatever certainties, uh, that can lead to marginalization and prejudice and that kind of stuff. So there's kind of this radical sense um, from queer theory that, you know, you're not totally even comfortable with certain terms like gay or straight. Right. Um, So I don't know anyway, but but yeah, but some people, they know their whole lives. You know, they know they're straight. They know they're gay. They know they like both. I don't know, you know, but for me, it wasn't until I really fell in love with someone for the first time and the person happened to be a girl. And then it was like, now what?
2: (laughs) Right. Right.
0: I don't know. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Um, on the, on the, uh, I guess societal political spectrum of that, how do you think that transforms our society as far as like what you're saying around, um, not getting too certain on things. There's a lot of uh, online chatter about all of this that I pick up on. As far as um, the, uh, a postmodern mindset of everyone creates their own uh, identity and, and meaning. Like from one side, they'll say, "Well, that that just goes too far. There are facts they can't be avoided," and and that's that. And then on the other side, you know, nothing's true. Everything's relative. Like, uh, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you interpret that, that kind of that, um, what would you call it? It's some type of spectrum of, yes, there are, things can be certain and no, nothing can be certain.
0: Mm-hmm. That is a tough one. Um, I think, you know, what, what a lot of deconstructionists, queer theorists, race theorists, et cetera people will talk about is this sort of strategic essentialism. So like, you know, you may have to have a, a quote unquote women's liberation movement or, 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 you know, talk about gay rights or, or you, know, um, you know, racial equality and things like that. Understanding that those are really largely socially constructed. But the only reason why anyone has to talk about it is because people decided a while ago we're going to have this kind of a categorization system. And some people are privileged and some people aren't mm-hmm. right. If you didn't have that kind of thing going on, you wouldn't have this particular group. That's always kind of been a marginalized or worse. That um, now has to embrace is a great example. You know, they have to kind of come together in a certain way because, you know, even though they recognize it, these notions about races as as really being uh, distinct biologically, morally, you know, the whole whole gamut, um, that's all kind of basically been debunked, right? Like that, those aren't, it's not like, oh, yeah, we can see from their DNA that they're really sort of this other species, you know, Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that people don't understand these groups as being, quote unquote, distinct already. They already understand them as socially constructed groups. So, to just say, "Well, you know, we're we're so postmodern, we're so, you know, deconstructed that we're not even going to uh, pretend that such groups are a thing," would be detrimental politically to getting more equality and acceptance and tolerance and things like that. Hmm. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's like I mean, as far as like I think there are some there's some ways to use groups grouping or categories in in productive and necessary ways, you know? Yeah. Like I don't think you just completely throw everything out for me personally. Um or there might be a certain type of people that are susceptible to a particular disease you know there's there are ways it can be helpful um but i can see why people kind of want to go beyond categorization because i think a lot of us really don't fit a particular group and it's kind of frustrating you know sure um and 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 that has really just become more and more solidified i think politically it's like you're left or you're right you're republican or you're democrat you know and and it's so divisive and my word and
2: i the, heard a, a pol- someone in the political spectrum the other day i don't know where who they were what it was from but they said something about coming together and how there's value on both sides and like some emotions exploded in me like that person right? like yeah i mean from from someone who studied so much sorry to interrupt you um
0: no, go ahead.
2: But, but I'll just keep going. <laughs> um, <laughs> from someone who's studied so much uh, these, these subjects, uh, it, it seems like um, were you to live, it, it's like our existence right now is so incredibly polarized and it's, it feels like the two sides are fighting to have the whole country just be like them or just be like them. Right. And yeah. I can't imagine... That anyone wants to live in a single party, everyone's liberal kind of country, nor does everyone want to live in a single party, everyone's highly conservative country. like how is it that we're missing this this uh, it feels like the progress in our country is moves like a snake. it moves forward by by pendulum swings back and forth that that the the conservatives have valuable input and valuable reasons to pull it this way they want the same thing for the country but they see a different way to do it and the left in the more liberal mindsets do the exact same thing but from their camp and by this tension between the two we move forward Do, do you have any insight on on why we're so why we have such a hard time working together at this point in our society
0: Oh, man, <laughs> that's a big question. Um, I think I, I will say that we're probably spending a little bit too much time, uh, you know, in our echo chambers. I think, you know, the rise of like cable news has sort of brought some new issues that works. Yeah, you know, and there and and it's a it's a monetary appeal, right? Like there's you know, I'm not even sure it's ideological, right? It's sort of like well, let's let's develop this, you know, fan base or whatever and just kind of keep people angry enough, you know, whatever, outraged enough, or, you know, whatever kind of emotions they're wanting to appeal to, um, to kind of keep people watching, yeah, right. Or listening. Um, come what may, right. For the country, like, Oh, well. Right. Um, so that's problematic. Cause honestly, I, you know, my parents were talking about this, um, this past week when I was visiting them. It's like, there there was like a noticeable change amongst you know friends family whatever since they really get addicted to a certain you know hyperpartisan hmm. uh new, news channel or or you know or personality or something like that it's like when did they become this person like and and you know for my family we've got people that are really pretty far left really pretty far right you know there's there's the whole spectrum. And it it's like, I don't know, it just, it does seem so polarized. And I i think, I don't know. I don't know, you know, maybe I'm a little bit too young. Um, people like my parents, it's interesting to talk to them because, you know, you, you did have more of a general, these are respectable news sources. They're, they're trying to be more, you know, journalistic in the traditional sense where it's not, really you know opinions so much right um not not that anything's objective but you know a little bit less so i think than we get from a lot of the news now so now it's like it's more about entertainment than news
2: yeah
0: um and the way that they're capitalizing on that is going to be these emotional appeals there it's going to be outrageous things they want to keep people captivated um and and of course, you kind of have to. I don't know why. Apparently, there's two sides. I don't. I don't know why it's bifurcated like that. I. I don't really get it. Why are we a two-party system? I don't know. Other countries have multiple parties. You know, it's. Um. But it's very much the us versus them. Maybe it's just simpler. You know, we're right; there wrong. Yeah. Um. There's no, and nobody. Ha- you know, short attention spans. Right. Nobody wants to do the research to really understand. What is the history of voting fraud? You know, how, how many how many weeks are people going to spend reading and studying that? Now, I was able to do that, at, at, you know, because I had an access to university library. But even right. that, people can't necessarily even get access to all these kinds of really good, solid sources. So, it's like, it's just the sensationalism. Um, nobody wants to put the time in to really think about it. And 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 then at that in turn, I think sort of now with social media, right? That's a whole new level. After we get like cable news and such, right? Um, You know, that sort of what you're posting is sort of represents who you are. It's like you're kind of showing your identity or something. And identities, and you know, realistically, are are quite complex. And maybe we want to think that it's simple and. You know, we're, we're on the side of right. We're on the side of good or whatever, you right. know. Um, I, I don't know, you know, but, it, but it's true, though. Most people are not going to be, and they maybe just don't have the time. Like, even if they had the ability, they're not going to take the time to really do the hard work, to really do the critical thinking. Um, and there's a certain privilege that comes, you know, from being able to really effectively do that to know how to research, to know how to evaluate sources, you know, right. to know how to, to understand fallacies, like all that kind of thing. You know, it's um, I just think a lot, a lot of people maybe haven't had as, as many opportunities to really develop all that kind of stuff. So it sort of gets compounded hmm. uh, with just the very, very, very fast paced life that we have now Right. posts and tweets and, you know, 30 seconds, news segments, and this and that. I don't know, right?
2: I got to think that uh, at the foundation of, of our country, that we are a country of immigrants primarily, that to be an immigrant, you got to be pretty crazy. You got to leave your country that you know, <laughs> right. your family that you know. I mean, you got to be crazy. You got to be individualistic. You got to be brave, courageous, and highly individualistic, Right. And I think we have at our foundation uh, have nurtured a culture of high degree of individualism. And then people identify highly with these very, very, uh, very uh, polar opposite ways of of expressing that, you know, liberal or conservative um, in general. And I think just the encouragement of our society in general, having a foundation of of largely. Uh, immigrant uh that makes them the highly individualistic brave courageous outspoken you know uh and then to add on top of this now the social media and the echo chamber that is the friend group that you surround yourself in and the feed that you see um it's just it's all feeding into something that i hope i hope we can pull back from the brink and uh i hope conversations like this again kind of help people see the multiple sides of things and accept that there's a nuanced difference and realize that there is a lot of value in people that are not like you because good grief if everyone was like me wouldn't be good so
0: (laughs) yeah no there really is value in diversity yeah really is you know yeah
2: well i uh I I really appreciate you, uh, sharing from your personal experience, taking the time, uh, to, uh, work out the technical difficulties of, of getting on a, on a call like this. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <It's okay.
1: laughs>
2: yeah, I really appreciate you sharing, uh, your personal story, your, your experience and your education and your knowledge and wisdom from everything that you've studied and the life that you've lived, uh, and in, in this kind of format super appreciate it thank you for your time and uh, it's been really enjoyable so thank yeah. you